Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So the viral videos are everywhere. All over the country, parents are pushing back on school boards and on the new woke policies they're trying to put in place. But I think it's important to point out that many of these parents aren't just challenging these woke policies. They're challenging the idea that these school board members get to do whatever they want with no accountability and no feedback or input from parents. I think parents have sort of had it with the audacity of these school board members who are elected. Not all school board members are elected. I think in some regions and and cities, they might be appointed, but they're largely elected and they get elected and they go on these power trips. And we're seeing it all over the country where they don't even want to hear from parents. They're dismissive. They're smug. They're rude. They cut parents off. They cut their mics off. They sit up on these dioceses surrounded by plexiglass with masks on. They've been vaccinated for months. They make the parents stand behind plexiglass and wear a mask. That's what's going on in my school. But again, they clearly don't want to hear what's being said from these parents. And so I think there is just overall frustration with the attitude from a lot of these school board members. So one of the people that has had enough is Hannah Smith. She's a Texas She's a Texas mom who recently won in a special election in the South Lake, Texas area. That is a suburb of Dallas. In that special election, a whole new slate of candidates for mayor, city council, and two for school board, including Hannah, were elected in a landslide. And this next part is really important. More than 9,000 voters cast ballots, three times as many in similar contests years prior It just shows that the apathy is gone. People care and they're showing up. Hannah has an interesting story and she's no stranger to education or law. Hannah graduated from Princeton University where she focused on education policy and then she went on to earn her law degree at BYU. Hannah spent the next two decades involved in high profile litigation at top law firms and at the Supreme Court where she even worked directly for Justice Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Samuel Alito, and later advocated successfully for religious liberty in state and federal courts, including four landmark victories at the U.S. Supreme Court. She has served as a legal spokeswoman on major news outlets. She's authored opinion pieces and articles on legal and religious liberty subjects. She's briefed policymakers at the White House, the U.S. Capitol and State Department, and she's provided expert testimony in support of Justice Neil Gorsuch during his confirmation to the U.S. Supreme Court. In other words, she is no slouch. Hannah, in addition to all that, um, Hannah has been an active member in her community, and she has volunteered in various community roles, and she says she's always cherished her, her role as wife and mother. She and her husband, John, have four kids. And I mean, these kids aren't out of the house. Uh, her youngest is still in elementary school. So she's a very busy woman. Hannah, it is such an honor to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, Hannah, there's a lot of interest in your story. And I know you've gotten a lot of media coverage. And um, 
uh, you know, from all sorts of media um, and people, especially, especially parents, parents like me are interested in your story. I, I really kind of want to know and have you explain to the audience, you know, was there something in particular that happened? Was there something that was sort of, I've had it, you know, I've had those moments where I'm like, I'm done, right? So was there something that happened or a moment or was it sort of a slow build? Tell us a little bit about your decision to run for school board. Well, thank you so much for having me on, first of all, and I'm so excited to talk about this with your listeners. Um, we moved to South Lake, Texas about two years ago, and we left the Washington, D.C. area because we wanted to raise our kids in Texas. We had lived here once before, and we knew what a great environment it was to raise kids in. Um, face family and football, you know, it's just yeah. a great place to live. And um, and so we moved to a very conservative town. South Lake is in the middle of Tarrant County, which is probably the reddest county in North Texas. And we did that by design. You know, we wanted to live in a fairly conservative area and we wanted to send our kids to public schools that reflected the values of that community. And so we were here and we were enjoying, um, you know, our kids, um, you know, and their new schools. And then COVID hit. And so we all, you know, went home for COVID quarantine. And right. um, and it was during that time period that our school district tried to introduce this radical plan. It was a 34-page plan. It was called the Cultural Competence Action Plan. And parents were home. They were home from work. They yeah. were looking over their kids' shoulders on their computers, watching what they were doing in class, and paying much more attention to school board meetings. And I, I give you that background because I do think it is vitally important to the story and how it unfolded because our community, when they saw what our school district was trying to do, rose up and said, we're not allowing that to happen. And that's really when I started to get involved, um, helping with our um, volunteers and our grassroots organization, mobilizing the parents to speak at board meetings, and really fighting back against that 34-page plan. So when the time rolled around to consider who would run for school board, you know, I raised my hand and I said, you know, if not now, when, and if not right. who, you know, I mean, I just felt like this was the right time and the right place to be able to jump in. You know, it's interesting to me to hear about this because, you know, I, you mentioned you left the D.C. area. You wanted to raise your kids in a different environment. I'm still here. I live right outside of Washington in Alexandria, Virginia. And it's so nice to talk to you because I feel like I don't have to explain to you what a different world it is. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a deep blue area all around. It's not just Alexandria, Arlington, Fairfax County. There's, um, these are, this is, you know, Virginia would be a red state if it weren't for Northern Virginia. And Northern Virginia is very much deep blue. And there yeah. is a sense of, you know, I kind of want to talk to you about this too. There is a sense here of you just don't complain. Did you feel that when you were in this area? Did you feel a sense of sort of just don't complain stay quiet and also a sense that if you do complain you might pay a price did you did you feel that way when you're here I don't mean to pivot away from what you're doing but sure. I wanted to just get a quick sense from you of how you felt when you lived in this area we loved living in DC area and you know I I totally identify with what you're saying and um we left in June of 2019, yep. and I think it was just six months later that Virginia turned completely blue. Um, yeah. All of the, you know, top elected officials and all of the state government were Democrats. 
Yeah. Um, and we sort of saw that coming. And that was part of the reason why we left, to be quite honest, because we just felt like, you know, at one point, Virginia was more Republican, but yes. it has definitely taken a different turn in recent years. And so um, I understand what you're saying. I think anywhere, really, it does, it's not just the D.C. area, but anywhere where you feel like you're not in the majority, you do feel like there's a certain risk to speaking out. And yeah. even here, I have to say, in, you know, Red Tarrant County, there are people who still feel like there's a price you pay if you, you know, stand up and speak yeah. out. And I think that's unfortunate because this cancel culture that has taken over, um, it, you know, it it pays a price for people to have to yeah. stand up and say what they really believe. You know, they, they do risk getting doxxed and canceled. Yes. And they also, there's a risk to the children. I think that there's a lot of people who feel like, well, if I speak up, then my child may not get a particular spot on a, on a sports team. My child maybe won't you know, get the attention or the, um, and I, you know, I don't want to suggest there's some sort of conspiracy, you know, but I, but I do think that there, and and might not be justified, but I do think some parents feel that way, that it's better to be quiet and go along, get along and not really raise a stink. But I think it's gotten to the point where, you know, I think because of COVID, what you mentioned, being home, hearing things, listening, being present, being there in the classroom with their kids has made people go, hold on a sec, hold on a sec. So you mentioned this group of parents that, so it wasn't just you, you had a, you had a group of parents that were very concerned. And I thought one thing that was really interesting about your story is the turnout of the vote. It was something like 9,000 voters cast ballots and that was three times as many um, as in recent or as in years prior. Um, that motivation, uh, you know, that is that it's it's great to see that um, is and I think that's happening nationwide. Do you think that will continue? In other words, do you think the next year, you know, I think nationally it's it's the, the turnout for school board elections is very, very low. It's like five percent. But do you think we're going to start to see more of what happened in your town, more people showing up, more interest? Will that be prolonged or is this just kind of a temporary trend? You know, that's a great question. And no doubt we had the highest voter turnout in a non-presidential municipal election in our city's history. Uh, mm. Normally, you know, we had single digit turnout, um, single digit percentage turnout um, for municipal elections. Um, most of our current school board members were appointed and then ran unopposed uh, to get on mm. the school board. Mm -hmm. We only had one other person who actually ran uh, opposed to somebody out of the seven members of our school board. Wow. Um, and, you know, traditionally in our town, um, you know, there was probably um, maybe, you know, 3,000 people that turned out for a municipal election. Um, and that's if you had like a city council person running or a mayor running. Um, in our election, we had almost 10,000 voters turn out and it was wow. largely driven by the school board election. We did have two mm. city council um, candidates running opposed races and we had a mayor's candidate running an opposed race. Um, but it was largely the CCAP and the school board um, issues that drove the turnout. And we won in a landslide. It was a 70 to 30, a 40 point margin win, which was wow. huge, huge, 
huge in our city's history and huge around the country. You know, people had just not seen that happen before. And I give credit to our amazing community. I mean, we had an amazing group of volunteers who helped us, who helped mobilize the vote. Um, We had a wonderful pack that was created, the South Lake Families Pack, um, that helped raise money um, and who sent out mailers on our behalf. Um, We had an amazing Facebook page group that was set up where we could communicate with each other. Our campaigns had just amazing volunteers that helped knock on doors, cast out flyers, call and text people. Um, We just had a really great ground game. And that infrastructure really helped us get our message out because we had a great message. And we, you know, scheduled about 70 different meet and greets with different constituencies around our city and our school district to talk to the empty nesters and what this would mean for their property values and to talk to the young families with pre-K students who are about to enter the district and what this would mean for their students' education in the in the future. Um, and of course, then families that have kids in the district right now. So we really worked hard and it paid off. And I have to say it was a community effort. That is, that's such a great story. It, it, it honestly is like a, this sort of all American story, right? Of someone who just didn't really see themselves as, you know, the, uh, you know, with a political future, you know, you know, and, or necessarily, and then you run and the, and the candidacy and the campaign and the volunteers are really people who feel passionately about this and the candidate. And so it's just a, a great story, but you know, your story is, is what we're seeing all over the country. We're, there are there are others like this that are running on this that are concerned about CRT that are re- and critical race theory that are concerned about, for instance, the 1619 curriculum getting um, uh, put into schools, or people who are concerned about this, you know, equity versus equality. This is a big thing in my, um, and I want to apologize to anyone who can hear the lawnmowers outside my house and it is my windows are closed so I apologize for that but um, we get a little bit of uh, landscaping on this podcast um, so so you know you have the this you know these sort of breakouts throughout the country and yet in the mainstream media you're hearing a narrative like CRT is not being taught that parents who are upset about this and going to school board, you know, because we've all seen the viral videos of parents going to school board meetings and saying, I don't want this in my school. And then you have charges that they are all sort of part of this astroturf, you know, highly funded right wing, um, uh, you know, program. That's not true. What, how do you hit back on that? How do you sort of I'm sure, you know, I don't know if the, if you've gotten those kinds of questions in the media, but, you know, s- parents are essentially what I see in the mainstream media is telling parents, don't do this, don't complain, be quiet, and then kind of painting these parents like they're part of some, you know, right-wing cabal uh, that wants to essentially not teach about race at all in school and not teach about slavery or Jim Crow or civil rights, which is absurd. But how do you how do you respond to that kind of stuff? Well, there's a lot in that question. So let me um, address (laughs) several of those points. Um, So uh, there were two seats that were open on our school board. Um, So I ran for place five and then my fellow conservative, Cam Bryan, ran for place four. And so we really had a dual message in our campaign, right? We were talking to people not only about why you should elect us 
be on the school board, but we were educating them about the CCAP and about equity and about this yeah. new agenda. Um, and so every time we met with folks, we were talking to them about what is the difference between equality and equity? You know, yeah. our system of government and our legal uh, system is based on colorblind equality. It is based on the principle that everyone is equal before the law, no matter what your skin color, race, ethnicity, gender, disability, background, it doesn't matter. Everyone is equal, and we don't look at skin color. We are colorblind. And yet this new agenda of equity um, is really different from that, and it tries to twist the principles of equality by actually using race and using ethnicity and using gender as a basis for achieving certain equitable outcomes. So mm-hmm. it's a really much more results-oriented outlook, right? It says there's all of these inequities in our society, so we have to use race uh, as a mechanism to favor certain individuals so that they can achieve the results that we deem important. And that is a fundamental reshaping of American um, principles. It's yeah. just a very radically different approach. And so I would have to explain that to folks um, as we were talking about it, because, you know, the progressive left wants everyone to believe, oh, these programs are really just about teaching kindness and respect yes. and human decency. And I would say to people, if this plan was only about kindness and respect and human decency, I would be all for it because Sign those are up. the principles that I teach my children in my house. I teach my children to be kind to other people, to be respectful of different cultures. That's not an issue for me. The issue for me was the fundamental and radical reshaping of America through these educational programs that are just radically progressive. So I would try and explain that. And I think we got the message across. I think people were deeply concerned about that changing our school system forever and, you know, getting to a point where we really wouldn't recognize our schools um, once this uh, plan were to be was to be in place. And you talked about, you know, being characterized as a well-funded right-wing organization. And I just want to address that really briefly because Cam and I, each of us raised over $60,000 for our individual races. And that is almost unheard of for a school board race. We made more money. We raised more money than the city council candidates and the mayor's candidates in our same races who were conservative. So, you know, it's really important to understand that all of that money, all of it came from our community our community was so concerned about our schools being radically transformed that they opened up their pocketbooks and they contributed and they contributed very generously. Um, and so, you know, this, this narrative that, you know, we have this national right wing, alt right, you know, white nationalist Christian, you know, um, uh, pack behind us that's funding us from money outside of our town is just false. It, it just wasn't the case in our, in our uh, race. You know, I, I, you told that story, we'd have to explain first. You know, it's interesting that that's exactly right. When you are running against something like CRT, you there, you do have to spend a while explaining this stuff because what's very concerning to me is that, and I think more and more parents are aware that this is out there and that, you know, some of them ha- may have a vague kind of concept of why this is bad, but there's an awful lot of people who don't know why a lot of parents are concerned and that equity equality thing is so um, important to p- point out to people because I've seen people say, 
you know, I have some concerns about what I'm hearing about there, but I really believe equity is an important part of, um, that, that should be an important goal. And I think, do you, and I have, I've had the opportunity to sometimes ask people to their face and say, I just want to know, do you, do you think equity and equitable and, or equality rather are equal words? Do you think they are interchangeable? And they always say yes. They always, they, ne- they don't understand what a loaded term equity is. Right. And so, and how it's, how it's, um, it, it's being used, used as a way to, to convey this idea of equality, that everybody has equality of opportunities. And when I try to explain that's right, the equal, that, that it's no, it's, it's, it's outcomes. They're focused on the outcomes, no matter what the situation is. And, but my point is in, in talking about this is it's really hard <laughs> to explain this stuff. And I think you have to be a sort of a gifted communicator to explain the difference in a way that people can understand because these are complicated. I mean, CRT, you know, this sort of theory that only existed in law schools until recently, these are complicated topics. They're not easy to understand. And what bothers me so much and why I'm so glad you're out there really trying to inform people about the realities of these programs that have different names. Like you said, the one in your school is different. Ours is equity for all. That's that's what my school district is 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 sort of launching. But, you know, you do really have to explain these things. And I think it's so important that people understand this because and this this is particularly upsetting to me. And I mentioned this earlier that so many people think that this means that those who are who object to these sort of equity and CRT and are object to the 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 sort of you know, the sort of horrifying part of our country being taught in schools. Nobody objects to that. Nobody, nobody thinks that kids don't need to learn about slavery and and Jim Crow and the civil rights movement and other parts of our history that are really horrifying. These, this is a, this is a part of it. And, and I think what, what bothers me also is this idea that America hasn't improved at all since that those parts of our history. There's this kind of narrative that, well, it's just as bad as it's always been. You know, Bill Mayer kind of Meyer kind of touched on this on his show about how, look, can we just admit that things are getting better? You know, so it's this I this sort of very negative um, and kind of depressing uh, message that I think that's what a lot of parents don't want to see. It's, it's sort of the anti-Americanism. Um, so it's great that you're also making education or made education a part of your campaign. I think that's so important. Were people yeah, resp- really were is. people responsive to it? And yes, absolutely. I mean, I think people were really concerned because they see these words that have normal meanings that everybody understands, and they see these words being changed. You know, we're, we're witnessing right now, I think, a moment in our culture and society where um, words are being redefined to yes. be used and weaponized for a particular political agenda. And so when you talk about things like equity, well, if you look up equity and equality in the dictionary, they actually do have very similar yes. definitions if you look at them in the dictionary. But that's not what the political connotation is when they are being used in this context. Um, so you almost have to just, you know, explain to people that our, our vocabulary is being redefined um, to achieve certain uh, political agendas. And another thing that I would talk to people a lot on the campaign trail about was, um, you know, we've seen in other states where these equity programs have um, 
have gone. You know, we we can look to uh, California or Massachusetts or New York or even, you know, Illinois and see where equity um, audits have taken school districts. For example, um, in New York, you know, Bill de Blasio um, had an equity committee and he charged them with reviewing all of the gifted and talented programs. And the equity review decided that because there was a higher percentage of Caucasian and Asian students in gifted and talented programs, uh, that they were going to completely disband the yes. gifted and talented programs because there weren't enough Hispanic and African-American That's students right. in those programs. And I'm saying to myself, well, why don't you do something to help the Hispanic and African-American yes. students qualify <laughs> Better. instead of yes. getting rid of the program altogether? And yes. so we talked about that on the campaign trail. What does that mean for our school district? If we were to go down this equity path, where would that take us? Would our you know, award-winning gifted and talented programs be taken away? It's something to really consider. And I... Yeah. You know, our, our school district is pretty unique because we have a pretty small district. We only have about 8,500 students, about 1,200 staff. Um, our district is pretty much within the confines of one city. And we have, you know, um, five elementary schools. We've got two intermediate schools that cover fifth and sixth grade. We've got two schools that cover um, seventh and eighth grade. And then we've got one high school that's for ninth and tenth and one high school that's for eleventh and twelfth. So we're a pretty small district, and they, in this 34-page CCAP report, they actually said that they had done a review of all of the academic test scores of our students, and they had concluded that there was no statistically significant difference in educational outcome based on race. So what does that yeah. tell you? That tells you that there are no educational inequalities in our school district based on race. Right. So right. why on earth do we need to adopt an equity policy that would purport to achieve certain equitable outcomes in education based on race when we don't when have they any, don't... any inequalities to begin with. They don't exist. <laughs> right, 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 right. And it's interesting because, you know, these are the questions that often um, – you know, when, I mean, that's that's part of the reason there's an intimidation campaign going on, because when you really get into the data and when you really look at the facts and then when you consider what they want to do, like take away, um, you know, AP classes and 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 advanced classes, then then it, it doesn't make sense. And you realize how damaging it's going to be. And I think parents, once they realize this kind of stuff and giving parents specific examples is really important. Now, I will tell you, Hannah, they have removed advanced math classes in Virginia schools. This is at the behest of um, obviously yes, our, I know. our, dem I saw our that. Yeah, our horrible. Democrat. Go, oh, it's a it's absolutely horrible. And when I and it's interesting that suddenly some people in my very like I, I call them like, you know, it's like they're like timid in my community to speak up. Suddenly people are like, wait a minute, what? I'm not going to get advanced math. There's not going to be tag. You know, we call it the talented and gifted program here in the city. Um, and, you know, my, you know, my gifted child who has always been interested in numbers and counting is suddenly going to be sitting in a class that, where he's bored. What is so horrifying, too, is many times these advanced placement classes they can, you know, teachers will notice a child has, you know, unique abilities or unique interests. And they can pull some of these kids who, who you know, do live in poor households. Um, and they can, you know, they can, they can see that, oh, they need these advanced math placement. It really helps a lot of these kids in these poor communities or special needs Absolutely. communities. And so Absolutely. what's horrifying is you're actually harming the very children because these are exactly. merit-based 
these are merit-based programs. And I'm sure you probably also have heard the, the situation in this community of TJ, right? T- Thomas Jefferson High School, best high school in the yep. United States, yep. right? It's a math and science high school. And you have to you have to take a, essentially a math and science test to see if you you qualify to get in. I would never, ever have gotten into this high school, okay? Like, these are the bright, brilliant children that go to this high school. Again, entirely merit-based. Um, and they've now taken away the test because they, as you said, you mentioned this, you know, they, they didn't have enough. They had too many Caucasians. And really, it was Asians. The TJ is, is, has a lot of Asian yep, students. And because there weren't enough black and, and, and Hispanic students, they have now taken away the test and they're going to offer these positions to black and, 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 and Hispanic children that probably aren't going to do well or maybe too challenged. And then they'll feel defeated. Um, and so it's the whole thing's such a mess. And again, I think it's important yeah. when, when you hear like Joy Reid, right, on MSNBC say, oh, you know, gosh, it's all a myth, right? CRT isn't in schools. Well, the, but, but the philosophy of CRT, which puts people, you know, which kind of, you know, really, you know, is, is obsessed with outcomes and, 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 you know, is, is very narrowly focused. Undermines, and yes. Yeah. And undermines meritocracy, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. but I think it is important to, to point out to people, there are actual consequences. You said that you were like, you got to point out that it's, you can't just talk about this up in like the ether and like this, these very theoretical terms and, Oh, know the difference between equity and equality. I mean, that's all great. We need to do that, but we also need to point out the real world consequences of that stuff. And that is compelling. And so you were doing that. You started to get parents nervous about this and that groundswell, that just huge numbers that, that, that turned out, um, is evidence is real evidence that parents are waking up to this stuff and they're afraid. What is on your agenda? What are you going to focus on when you're in office? You know, we hit the ground running in May. Um, we took our oath of office in mid-May. And one of the very first things on the agenda was to look at the preschool curriculum. Um, and our state required a new preschool curriculum. Uh, and so we started doing some research on it, and the social-emotional learning component of the pre-K curriculum was provided by a company whose website talked all about SEL as a lever for equity. Yeah. <laughs> so on our very first meeting, we had to go and ask, could we please you know, postpone this discussion and, and let's look into this a little bit more so that we can make sure that we're not introducing equity through the lens of social-emotional learning in our pre-K curriculum. I mean, it starts that young oh, God. people. And the fact oh, that, you know, they say, oh, CRT is not really in school. You know, we've heard that so much. And I have to tell you, like, again, parents being home during COVID and seeing what their kids were doing, they saw it. I mean, there are, you know, so many examples that I have collected from around the country where white kids were given assignments to go home and, um, you know, write an essay on their uh, white privilege Privilege. and all of the ways that they're privileged over, you know, people of color. And you know what I say to that? I say that's not only um, damaging to the white kid, but that is also demeaning to every oh. student of color in this entire country. Yes. You suggest that students of color are automatically in a position of inferiority just because of their skin color. I cannot think of a more demeaning uh, thing to say to a young student than that. And I and just it, think that's, yeah. that's why I'm really opposed to it. It's not just, you know, it's both sides that really suffer. Um, when we start, you know, educating our kids, that one side is an oppressor and one side is, is oppressed and you can never overcome those labels. Oh. That is inherently destructive and will do great damage to our kids. 
It's abusive. And you know what upsets me too, Hannah, is they are starting all of this, this intersection of, you know, COVID and George Floyd and the BML rallies and protests and, and, and the looting that happened this summer and, um, and, and then people staying home. And also we know the, the reports on children experiencing greater levels of depression and anxiety and higher rates of suicide, more trips to the emergency room. I mean, just horrifying data on this. And then you have them returning to school and many schools since the death of George Floyd are now instituting these CRT policies. You know, many, many uh, schools have now adopted the six, 1919 project curriculum, which has been, which is a joke. I mean, like the, and this isn't just some right wing thing. I mean, the, the nation's most respected historians have, have written sort of alarming letters about how this is, this is not, uh, you know, this is, this is not factually based. um, And this is sort of, you know, historical fiction, essentially. And we really should not be teaching students that. And so since it's just amazing to me that it was the COVID and then the the death of George Floyd kind of coming together to create this, I think, just radicalism, radicalism. And and, it's a perfect storm, but it's also like they it's, it's literally like they some of these school administrators and some of these school boards. And I'll I'll say I'll include my my city's school board in that it's like they just there's no stopping them they just are going full steam ahead and it has emboldened them and i think they also sense the media is you know there's in the mainstream media there's very little pushback on stuff and in fact there's an effort to smear you know the parents who you know it's just horrifying in in fairfax county a woman who grew up under mao (laughs) I mean, she grew up in China. She's a she's she she immigrated here, yes. her, you know, and yes. she gets up and she says, this reminds me of Maoist China. And I mean, you know, which AstroTurf group is she a part of? It's just so insulting. And so it really is alarming. And 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 I think that, that like you said, that perfect storm. So kids are now vulnerable. They are on edge. They're dealing with more anxiety and then they're going to go to school. And they're going to be taught this hopeless message about how you live in a terrible country and your white friends are superior to you and you'll never reach the American dream. It's really horrible. It's a it's a terrible thing to do yes. to them. It is. And it's, you like you said, it is abusive. And I think, you know, we need to um, really remember that um, we set the tone for our children. You know, we set um, the expectations that they will live up to. And if we are teaching our kids that there, there's no way that they can overcome their oppressed state, then that's a really depressing outlook for these kids. I mean, we need to be teaching them that you live in the, man, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and you can, you know, pick yourselves up by your bootstraps, and you can uh, achieve the American dream. That's what people all over the world have come to America to do, and that is why America is the greatest country on earth. And, the, and so and the, you're right. When you talked before about the history of our country, we need we need to teach our history honestly and openly, warts and all. But I still say, even with our faults and even with the things that have gone wrong in American history, we still are the greatest country on 100%. earth, and we need to teach our children that. Well, and and I feel sometimes when people sort of have this line about you know America being the worst country in the world and in no way evolving and in no way facing sort of their past like you said, warts and 
really some 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 horrible incidents in our country. We do face them. We talk about them endlessly. We talk about everything. That's the thing about Americans. We never shut up. We're just always talking about things. But if you go to another country, go travel, go go to other parts of the world. See how see how uh, how the LGBTQ community is treated overseas. See how certain races are treated in certain other countries. It is not a pretty thing. And we are flawed. Americans are flawed, but every country is flawed. And I think we grapple, Americans grapple with it much more than other countries. And so I think sometimes this is, um, I think some of these lessons are just, are, are just sort of, they show that people don't really understand the wider world and how, how people are treated in other countries. And I think if you did have that, those experiences or knew that you might, appreciate the the United States a little more, but unfortunately people aren't getting that view. I wanted to just ask I you, I know that's that we, exactly right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wanted I totally to, I wanted to, to, to mention, I had put up a blog post um, and I, I want the listeners to understand the difference here and what, how great it is. Cause I think, you know, you know, obviously you're, you've been elected and you clearly want to have rigorous conversations. You want to have these conversations. You want to talk about this. And I think for par- if a parent came to a school board meeting who, who was really, you know, upset about, you know, the, the things that she heard about CRT and really thinks that CRT is important in schools and that we have to talk about this. Stuff, I think you would, you would talk and you would want to listen to her and you'd want to have a, a really interesting conversation. In my town, I sent you a picture. I'd put this blog post up this week about how, my my town school board, we had a school board meeting and the entire school board came out in I am on an anti-racist journey. This is this is uh, the the words of Kendi X Abraham. He's he's uh, I got that wrong. It's Abraham X sure. Kendi. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. he is a part of sort of this movement. Right. To get this sort of anti-racist training, which is all kind of connected. It's all sort of. These these things all connect the anti-racist training, the CRT, the 1619 project. Um, And so, you know, I talked about how intimidating that would be for a parent who might be worried about this stuff and and genuinely worried, not like, you know, just have questions or just say, you know, I've read some worrying things about this. I mean, they come out with these T-shirts that say I'm on on an anti-racist journey. You know, that is I found that deeply irresponsible for a school. and And it shows the group think. It shows that they have decided and that they're not interested in alternative thought or any, you know, pushback. Um, and I, I just, I, I just love your opinion on that. As a sitting school member, what did you think of that? I, and I, I apologize. I don't know that you got the picture. We sent it on, but I, 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 I assume you did. Yeah. No. I, I really want to encourage um, everyone who's listening who has any concerns about this being in their school district. Um, to do what we did. And I didn't mention this before, and I want to make sure and do this before we uh, move on. But uh, we we issued hundreds of open records requests to our school district to get the information that we needed to be able to fight back. And it was through these open records requests that we found the slide decks that were used for the teacher and administrator training um, in our district. And one slide deck in particular from an administrator retreat in 2019 um, was replete with CRT concepts, um, teaching the staff about white privilege and white supremacy and white fragility and uh, intersectionality. And there was even a slide that asked people to reflect in their groups about characteristics of white culture. Um, And so when they say, you know, this is not part of um, your school district, you need to do some open records requests to show that it is. 
Um, and so this 34-page plan, the Cultural Competence Action Plan that, that they wanted to pass in our district, had so many things wrong with it, but it was fundamentally an assault on basic American principles, principles of free speech, due process, freedom of association, freedom of religion. Um, they wanted to track microaggressions. Um, they wanted to do audits of our student clubs, including our student religious clubs. Oh, wow. They wanted to um, do audits of our curriculum. They wanted to do invasive teacher trainings that were probably a violation of Title VII, grouping teachers by race and talking about oh. um, issues of race. They actually did an exercise with our teachers that was called How Diverse Is Your Universe? And they asked teachers to t pick out a bead from a cup, and the bead would reflect the color of skin of their spouse, their friends, their neighbors, their doctors, their attorneys, their colleagues, the people they go to church with. And then they were supposed to look in their cup and see if their beads were too white. Oh um, so these were the kinds of things that they were doing with our staff. They wanted to implement a teacher training, um, excuse me, a teacher performance review mechanism where they would see if our teachers were sufficiently woke to consider whether or not they should stay on in their position. Um, I mean, there were just page after page of radical things that they wanted to introduce into our school. Um, and so when you say, you know, and when they said, well, it's not really CRT-based, the word critical race theory is nowhere in the CCAP. That's right. really not the point. The right. point is, is that all of these things that they wanted to introduce were a fundamental attack on the basic principles of American democracy, free speech, freedom of association, um, Title VII protections, Title VI protections, all of these things that, you know, create a colorblind society. They wanted to strip those away. And that is fundamentally a neo-Marxist critical race theory type effort. Um, so I would really encourage anyone who, whose district wants to, you know, adopt an equity policy, um, you know, push back. You've got to stand up and you've got to say, no, this, we don't need these policies. We've got all of the laws that we need in Title VII and Title VI um, and in the federal laws that protect against race discrimination in our country. Um, we don't need anything more. And, you know, what we said on the campaign trail, I, I continue to say as an acting school board member, we need to enforce our student code of conduct. If there are kids that are being bullied because of their race, if there are kids that are being harassed because of their gender orientation, if there are kids that are really hurting, and, and there are, you know, occasions when the student code of conduct is not being enforced, when it's not being used to protect those kids. We have to make sure that they are protected. No one wants anyone to be discriminated against and no one wants anyone to be hurt. But what we don't want is for our schools to be radically transformed so that we don't even recognize them in 10 years. Um, so that's really what we're trying to do as members of the board right now is just make sure that our student code of conduct is enforced, that we have the proper mechanisms in place to make sure that kids are safe when they come to school, um, but we don't need this radical transformation. Hannah, you are so eloquent on this issue. What can I do to get you to move back to my town and run for school board here? That would be great. <laughs> I can offer you like about 10 bucks and a couple casseroles and like to make your move easier. Oh, I, it takes the village. I tell you, it takes the village. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, I am a little bit jealous. My husband and I always kind of tossed around the idea of moving. And I think to some degree um, that is also important to do. I think, you know, yes, fight back, fight back in your community. But I think for me, with the entire school board and the superintendent trotting out to the dais at the school board 
meeting wearing we are on an anti-racist uh, journey and with people on their at home, you know, officials zooming in with it being used as their background, there is a sense of, oh, good God. And, you know, what can I it's so it's so in the bag, right? They're never and they don't want to listen to parents. So I think part of fighting back is also finding communities that are better. And I hate to, to say, you know, because I hate to lose good people in communities that are really fighting this. But I do think as people, you know, they get married, they have children at this point and at this point, you got to think about this stuff. It's not just like, you know, you know how you used to look for a house and you'd look at the school rating, right? And you go, oh, they get good ratings, right? Which means it used to mean, <laughs> you know, for instance, maybe they have AP co- courses or maybe they have like good yeah, ratings exactly. on just the, just the curriculum's great or they have a lot of teachers, they have high retention rates. Now parents are going to have to start looking for this. And I, that's a great, I swear, I'm giving someone an idea right now. A great app would be the CRT yes, rating of the rating. schools, right? <laughs> a rating of, of some sort. Like, is this school, is this school, you know, dangerously woke? But the, the point is, is that I do think what you did, I think there's a lesson here too in what you did. You got out. You got, uh, and I know you like living here and stuff, but you mentioned it, like the, it has become really extreme in Northern Virginia. It has become a very unfriendly place for people with more traditional religious and conservative views. And I think that people also need to consider, you know, not just running for office, and not, but finding a community that suits them and is better for them. And that's what you've done. And I'm telling you, though, it is just such an, ex- it's exhilarating to listen to you talk. It is exciting to think of women like you and people like you and and people who who can so eloquently talk about this stuff running because you're convincing and you also obviously care you care about you know minority children and and children who um you know might face some struggles in schools and i think that that's the balance we need to find and and you're you're just you're it's really exciting. I'm going to be watching your career, and um, and who knows? Maybe you'll come back as a congressman. Maybe we'll get you back here um, to DC eventually. So, no. really, thanks for all you're thank doing. Thank you so much. Well, listen, no, Hannah. Well, before... Thank you so much. Oh, go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, thank you so much for having me on today. And I really do want to say that um, I don't think any community is immune from this. So, you know, wherever you go. I mean, I certainly thought I was fleeing it coming to Texas. I thought we wouldn't have to worry about this at all. And, you know, in some ways, I think they thought if we can accomplish this in South Lake, we can accomplish this anywhere. So I do think that wherever you go, you're going to find this um, and it's going to try and seep in. And so we're going to need people everywhere to just stand up and fight back. That's a really, really important point to not become sort of too comfortable to keep watching, to keep listening, read your children's curriculum. I'm always telling people like you can get it. They have a PDF of it. They'll send it to you. Like you're entitled to see it. Be more active. Go to school board meetings, right? Join your PTA, lead your PTA. Although that's a whole nother Oprah show on PTA because that's a end of a nightmare. But the point is, is that get active and listen and you did. And so even if you're in a comfortable area, I think that's really good advice. Hannah, before I let you go, um, where can people find you and follow you? So my campaign website is still up. It's Hannah Smith, the number four, CISD.com. And I have a bunch of resources up there, some news articles and some interviews um, and a bunch of things that people might find helpful. um, And my social media is up there as well as my email. So people can um, get in touch with with me that way. Okay. Well, listen, it is great talking to you. I'm going to keep following you you. I hope you will come back either on this show, but this podcast is sponsored by the Independent Women's Forum, and we have a ton of of events and speaking opportunities and other things. And right now, I'm going to hang up and say 
we gotta we gotta get Hannah involved because you really are a great guest, and I I appreciate what you're doing, and and I wish you all the luck. Thank you, Hannah. Well, thank you for IWS and all you do. Thanks everyone for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.